Hello, welcome to LaunchPod episode 17. This is the LaunchPad team podcast and I'm Matthew Ravel here in Wolverhampton in the UK. So uh, what's in this week's episode? Well, this past week has been LaunchPad performance week, the first of these that we're, we're going to be doing over, over the next few months. And during that week, the entire team was focusing on bringing down timeouts in Launchpad. Not not necessarily hard timeouts that you'd see, but the soft timeouts that we set for ourselves to monitor whether pages are too slow or not. Um, so essentially we've been hacking away at slow pages. So uh, that work's not quite all finished yet, so I spoke to a couple of the guys on the team. That's uh, Curtis Hovey from the registry team and Dinalo Sagan from the translations team. And uh, they uh, they t- t- tell me um, in their interviews about what work they've done and how, how they got on. Uh, if you want to find out more about that, then keep reading blog.launchpad.net, where you'll see posts about from from other members of the team about what they've been doing for Launchpad Performance Week. But first, um, I spoke to David Mason, uh, who is from the uh, a company called IntraHealth, who do a lot of work with um, third world health issues, and they've been developing a suite of open source software uh, using Launchpad as the hosting platform uh, for that. Uh, to help uh, medical professionals in the third world. So I spoke to him about IntraHealth, their projects, and their use of Launchpad. Hi, David Mason. Welcome to LaunchPod. Uh, Thanks very much for joining me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And whereabouts in the world are you uh, at the moment? I live in North Carolina, in uh, the Chapel Hill area to be exact, so in the United States. Oh, cool. Okay. And uh, you you work for... um, IntraHealth, uh, who um, are an interesting-looking organisation. Uh, tell, tell us a bit about what the, what, what the organisation does, and then we'll get into the into the geeky side of things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, IntraHealth is actually a non-profit that mostly does public health works uh, around the world in low-resource areas, and I will say that the majority of the focus is in Africa. Um, while most of of our work is not sort of uh, in the realm of geekiness. We do have a really strong team. Uh, we call it the informatics team. I suppose you could call it an IT team or whatever. But um, and and we we do some projects, uh, all open source, that are applications designed mostly to help health workers. Uh, so that's that's a real brief explanation of of what we do. So right, and so um, what. What what specific things would those applications do then? Uh, give them sure. Example. So the, um, probably the biggest one we have is uh, an HR information system database, which uh, with with a you know front end and all of that, and um, it's called Iris I H R I S, and um, it's you know the the big use for it is it, it we go into um, countries, ministries of health, and and other or, you know uh, bureaucracies like that, and help them figure out you know how many health workers are working in their country and how they can add to to that capacity and this system helps them out with that helps them organize that um, other other things that we've done we've, we've done uh, mobile data collection systems so using mobile phones to go door-to-door and, and collect health information from from people um, we've done a little bit of work in with open MRS the medical record system um, so it's it's those sort of applications the the majority 
majority of the focus is to help health workers, but we also do a little bit in in uh, uh, working with uh, infectious diseases and and that sort of thing as well, which most people would would think about with public health. So how how did an organization like yours get well make the decision to start developing uh, open source software? I can understand why you might want to start putting effort into developing software, but what's right. it down the free software route? Well, you know, it, there two things happened. One, one I think is that it, it's it's a very natural progression when you're look, working with a low resourced country that open source really fits well with um, with what they're dealing with in terms of monetary value and in terms of the collaboration um, that is natural to open source. Um, but but one specific instance it was we were starting a very large project that's funded by USAID um, called the Capacity Project. And we went to uh, a fairly popular and well-known uh, software company um, trying to get them to build this, this HR uh, database. And I think the initial cost was something like six hundred thousand dollars, and you know the per seat license was enormous. Uh, and at, at the time, and I wasn't working at Intrahealth at the time, uh, the, the decision was made that you know we could we could build this if with the money that's coming from USAID, we could put a team together and we could build this ourselves. And uh, at some point along the line, they said, well, you know, let's let's do this open source and let's see if we can get some collaboration from from others. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. Um, and I I'm, I come from the the more traditional open source businesses. I worked at Red Hat for many many years, and uh, and I was brought in after this um, happened to to sort of focus us a little bit on, on open source projects. And um, to, it goes hand in hand. I mean, with with nonprofit work, I think it's it's. Uh, almost a must in nonprofit work to do open source. It's not hasn't been the case in most nonprofits, but uh, to me, it's a natural fit. So, um, what, what are you actually developing in then, and, and what systems? Uh, with you having a Red Hat background, do, does it all run on Red Hat? Uh, it does not actually. It runs uh, the majority of what we use is Ubuntu, um, and you know I. For no particular reason other than uh, when we started working, someone said, "Hey, let's put this on Ubuntu." Um, I don't think we ever sat down and said, "You know, what offers better a better system or whatever." But uh, and and I'm fine with that. I, I love Ubuntu. I use it uh, personally as well. So. And you develop what 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 uh, environment are you developing in Python? Oh well, C? yeah, it depends on it depends on the application. Um, we actually do a lot of work. With uh, web apps, which which can sound odd when you know we're going into countries where the uh, bandwidth is is absolutely nil, but we're we're really making sort of local web apps in a sense. So, uh, for example, the 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 front end to our Iris system is all PHP and and uh, uh, you know on top of MySQL. Um, so it's you know it just depends, and and you know obviously OpenMRS is is a Java platform. Um, so we have done some of that as well, but um, I would say the majority of stuff we've done so far has been sort of web-based um, technologies, at least. And are you? Is is your development community pretty much just people who are employed by IntraHealth, or is there a, a a wider group of people who are involved in in either developing it or? Or testing it, or or even forking it into different projects. 
you know, it, again, it depends on on which application we're talking about. But I, I will I will say the majority of of work going on right now is is interhealth employees, um, because a lot of these applications are are not exactly what sort of your, your average open source geek wants to to get involved with because they have no need for it personally. Um, I, I wish I could change that. I wish I could sort of make it more of a, a, a charity event almost, but um, but I understand how, how open source works and, and that's somewhat of a tall order at times. But um, uh, having said that, there are also uh, a there's a great deal of, of cooperation coming out of the countries in which we're working uh, as well, and, and it's it's one of our one of our focuses as an organization is to make sure that um, people, local people in in these countries, are are doing as much of the work as possible. I mean, if if you look even at the number of employees that Interhealth has, uh, our U.S.-based employees is the, one of the smallest groups we have. Um, so a lot of times we'll go into Ministry of Health, for example. Um, I'll pick Uganda as, as a perfect example. Uganda's Ministry of Health has some really decent engineers working for them, and so we've we've uh, had them contribute as well to the applications that we're building for them. Um, also on on sort of the bigger projects, I mean, OpenMRS is another example, or again the example. Um, there are many people worldwide work, working on OpenMRS. It's one of the more successful uh, health applications in the open source world. Uh, so so when talking about that, there there is actually a great community um, involved in that. You, you mentioned also that you're in, you're in Chapel Hill and mm -hmm. you know Red Hat are in the area. Now you guys are working on open source. Is is there a bit of an open source uh, commercial open source scene there, or, or is that just a coincidence? No, I, you know there is actually. Um, it it's kind of interesting. How, I think you know Red Hat probably deserves a lot of credit for that because uh, back you know especially around the time that that Red Hat was going public. I mean we we were uh, making a lot of, of press, especially locally, and and um, you know I think that a, that a, quite a few businesses popped up because of that. Um, it's it's uh, interesting. I, you know I remember the old uh, CEO of Red Hat saying that he was hoping to make this sort of a, a hub of open source. I don't think it actually, you know, went that far or anything, but um but it, it it's you know, we have everything from startups to all the way to IBM. I mean there's there are a huge IBM um presence here in in it's just called the research triangle area. Um and you know there there's actually quite a bit of open source going on at IBM. I'm sure people already knew that but if people are interested in well finding out more about about intrahealth in general, but perhaps even getting involved in in some of your software projects. What 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 should they do? Well, um, I will say this: in the next couple of days, and and perhaps even by the time this this podcast is released, um, we are launching a, a new initiative called the Open Initiative, Intrahealth Open Initiative, and um, it's it's going to be a lot of fun actually, because what we've done is we have um, a a a bunch of of Musicians have gotten together to to help us out, and they've taken a Yusu Endure song. The Yusu Endure's the the famous Senegalese uh, musician, taken one of his songs, and we we've put it under a Creative Commons license, and and these musicians have remixed it, 
And these songs are going to be available to download for free. And uh, and then, of course, after you download it, we'll prompt you for a donation, a monetary donation. But um, we're going to we're going to sort of base a lot of our our communication. Uh, with the greater open source community around this project as well. So, uh, so if people go to intrahealth.org/open uh, in the next few days, you'll start to see um, some of the ways to contact us and and get involved. And you know, one of the things when when I came to Intrahealth was making sure that that we were doing our open source development in a manner that. Um, that allows people to contribute better. So you know, uh, this is this is pretty pretty basic stuff for for people who've been doing open source for a long time, but not necessarily to to all developers. And um, Launchpad actually was a huge part of that. Um, you know, when when uh, when I came in, Launchpad was was fairly new to me, and um, and I, I took a look at it. And one of the things that that jumped out at me in the very beginning was the translations. Um, uh, tools that are available in it, and for our work, I mean, we have uh, translation is a big issue for us because um, many countries that we work in, there are multiple languages being spoken. So um, we wanted to make sure that our translations were good. And um, looking at Launchpad, I thought, you know, this this is it. This is exactly what we need. And so all of all of the, our work is is being done very publicly and being done under licenses that are uh, allow people to jump in. So um, so th there are many ways to find us. Find us on Launchpad. Find us at interhealth.org/open and and elsewhere. So how else do you guys use Launchpad? Uh, we we use it for for all of our development. I mean, we we uh, use it for bug tracking. Actually, we um, you know. All of our all of our projects are there. Um, uh, although I was just checking it uh, before we started speaking, and I think a couple of projects are under um, some of our developers' uh, um, names instead of the Interhealth team name, but that's okay. We can fix that later. Um, so, uh, you know, it's it is it is the hub for us, um, which which is nice. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, thanks very much for taking the time out of your day to to have a chat with me. Absolutely, um, I, th I think it's a a really fascinating uh, project, and it's, it's it's one of the um, it's it's one of those projects that I think is so well suited to open source, but maybe doesn't get so much publicity within, uh, let's say, geeky circles, really, because it's not something that people are going to be using directly in their own lives, perhaps. Um, yeah, that, that's that's right. Yeah, that's right, and that's that's something I hope that that we can we can change with the you know with the with our open project in terms of people knowing about it at least. Um, I, I don't expect people to to need some of these applications in their daily lives, but um, but I at least want people to know about them. Hello, Danilo. Welcome to uh, Launchpod. Thanks very much for joining me. Where are you Where are you today? Thank you. I'm in Belgrade, in Serbia. Where is my office? Ah, cool. Excellent. Um, okay. Well, uh, last week was Launchpad Performance Week, and uh, during that time, various members of the well, e each part of the Launchpad team worked to improve uh, slow pages on their part of Launchpad. Uh, what what were the translation guys working on? Well, the Performance Week was basically about doing quick fixes uh, for big gains. So 
just about trying to find some low-hanging fruit to tackle during the week. Uh, it's not about infrastructural or big code redesigns. So what we decided to do was to tackle one of the few most important pages we have, which are the slowest ones as well. Uh, one of those was the plus the translation page, uh, basic uh, user interface for everybody to translate in. The other was the overview of uh, what a person has actually done in Launchpad translations. And uh, we did that in a few different ways. Uh, first off, uh, with the translation page, uh, what we did was we disabled global suggestions. You probably want to know more about what global suggestions are. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so global suggestions are suggestions uh, on a single message, English string, coming from different source packages or different packages in Launchpad. So, for example, if you have a open string in one package and it's untranslated, you'll get a suggestion from another one where it is translated already, so you can just reuse that. And we had to disable that because that's uh, what's causing the biggest performance hit on our translation pages. Isn't that cheating, though? Um, if you're improving the performance of a page, I mean, you, you can make any page perform brilliantly by disabling half its functionality. Of course it is cheating. That's what we are good at. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the idea there was to actually confirm that this is indeed a problem. And uh, by doing that, we can ex actually see and decide how we can approach the problem in the future. So there are several things we can do. One, one thing that this showed us is that uh, the big problem is simply the data size we have. So uh, we're going to tackle that, and we've worked on that uh, during the week uh, by simply removing some of the stuff which is actually not used. So this is not really cheating. There's a lot of obsolete Ubuntu translations, which amount to basically one third of entire data size. So uh, we decided to remove those, and we worked on actually doing that. So there is a work going on, and we are basically in the process of testing that so we don't mess anything up. And that should help improve the translate page even without disabling suggestions. And there's another thing we can do in the future. We were not able to tackle that during this week, which is uh, try out on-demand loading of uh, global suggestions with, for example, Ajax or any other method that we can come up with. Yeah, and the PPA guys, or the Soyuz guys, have done something similar with the PPA page. Now they're loading in package information asynchronously to, to improve the, the speed of a PPA page. Yeah, yeah, so that's uh, one way to actually do a lot of stuff, and uh, that will definitely benefit everybody using the translations pages, because they will simply not time out, and we can have really big batch sizes. Currently, they are limited to 300, which is sometimes already too much. But I believe but just by using uh, Ajax, we can improve that further in the future. What's the, the idea, the general idea behind Launchpad Performance Weeks? So, I mean, it seems pretty obvious that you know we want to improve the speed of slow pages. But um, why do it all in one week? Well, the, the idea is uh, to go on with the gradual reduction of timeouts uh, we have. Uh, our Previous limits uh, on timeouts were t around 25 seconds. We reduced that now to 20 seconds, which means that 
pages will not be allowed to take longer than 20 seconds to load. This is only active on the edge server, which is what beta testers can usually work with. But the production servers will get that uh, in less than a month in the February release of Launchpad. So the idea behind the performance weeks was to see and tackle all the culprits which uh, pop up in our statistics once we reduce the timeouts. That will help us find the really bad pages and simply try to find whatever is simple to fix and yet will improve the performance in a big way. Uh, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit like that, so there's a lot of ways we can improve it. When do you think that we'll see uh, global suggestions come back, or, or is that just something that we, that, that will be right Yeah, that, that will be back this cycle already, so as soon as we do the removal of obsolete translations, basically the production will never, never be without the global suggestions. Uh, ah. So uh, there's also some other stuff that's going on right at this time, which is we're getting some new hardware, which will also help with the uh, translate page particularly. And we're doing some longer term work, which actually involves redesign and uh, refactoring, which is uh, message sharing. That should help improve the performance as well. And uh, there's a lot of other stuff going on. And uh, the other thing we also did during the performance week was the overview of translations the person has done in Launchpad, and uh, that's something Jeroen has done. <laughs> and uh, he discovered problems and managed to solve all the problems there, so that page should not cause any problems anymore. Okay, all right. Well, thanks very much, Danilo. I'll, uh, I'll let you get back to work. Um, okay, thank you very much. Cheers, bye. Curtis Hoffey, welcome back to the Launchpad podcast. Um, now, I've, I've spoken to Danilo already in this podcast about the translation team's work in Launchpad Performance Week. What have the registry guys been doing? Well, we took on the um, a couple items that are actually related to secondary applications. It's just that uh, we understood how to fix them, so we took them on. The uh, most prominent one is the revisions feed. So if you're subscribed to a a, a team or, or a, a, a branch to see what changes are happening to it. You, we were getting some timeouts because the work of getting all that information across the DB was just took too long. So we had um, Edwin, who's rather clever at database work, improve that. The second one was, a, to be honest, a, um, a small oversight that escalated out of control, that being the um, looking at the question page. If you look at a question page, you'll see a list of everyone who subscribed to that question. These are mostly answer contacts. And we were doing additional work to look up their email address to send them email, but we're not sending them email on that page. So that was just a simple case of not doing the extra work. Uh, interesting. So when when you guys see that a, a page is hitting the soft timeout limit um, and you sit down to start work on fixing it essentially making it uh, load more quickly I suppose you do you have any idea of what the problem's going to be or is it just a case of investigating and then fixing in most cases an oops is generated an oops report um, gives us very detailed um, 
explanations of what's happening. We can see what time it took to go through a piece of code. We also see what the database was doing. We also get a nice summary of repeated queries. Um, and in the case of the question index page, we saw repeated queries to get people's email addresses when we know they were not needed on that page. So it was obvious that uh, we were stepping into a piece of code we hadn't thought about. And taking a look, it was through the stack trace, we were able to see exactly how we got to the wrong place. So we just avoid that now. In many cases, the OOPS report provides enough information for you to make a good decision of how to improve something. And not necessarily fix the big picture, but be able to make enough improvement to make to fix the visible problem. As an example, there is a continuing problem with turning, turning a bug into a question. There is an awesome amount of work that goes on in that. And while we have a very detailed report of where the time, where most of the time is being spent, there is no easy fix. We think we have to spend a lot of time doing that work. So we want to think about a new way of engineering that kind of task so that you say you want to turn a bug into a question and most of the work is done after you you ask for it so we would postpone doing it do it in an async operation I think that's the only way to actually fix that class of problem is that perhaps a lesson that you that might be applied more more generally when creating new functionality in launchpad then that the asynchronous uh, work is perhaps more appropriate. That's a that gets um, that's on the cusp of uh, a religious or philosophical argument in development. The general rule is develop so the code is clear, so that it's easy for the next person to look at it to understand how it works. It it should just be obvious. And when you're planning for performance work, you're often doing non-obvious things. You wind up leaving additional comments into in the code to explain why something's happened. Also, by introducing a non-obvious behavior, such as what we're talking about here, is an asynchronous operation where the emails going out to all the different people happen after the fact, it becomes much more difficult to debug. So in this case, if there turns out to be a problem with emailing the answer contacts that a bug has been turned into a question, we might have some difficulty tracing what was the origin of the problem because a second operation occurred that did not have an oops. And I don't then I then don't have a stack trace and a report of all the SQL operations. So the guiding line, guiding rule is to build a feature, build it early enough that it appears on edge and staging, where we can get feedback from users early and we can make a decision before it's released to, to everyone to make a performance improvement. Um, and some things you just don't see when it's released. Um, the case in point is that the problem with turning a bug into a question is that in the years, year, year and a half since it's been released, we have a lot more people as answer contacts and a lot more people working as um, doing bug triage. And it's just the sheer number of contributors 
that have proven that the implementation that I built doesn't scale. It is so the fact that Edge or Staging might not have the same level of hardware wouldn't really make any difference. It's 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 real data that makes the difference in, in testing whether an implementation is is uh, efficient or not. That's right. And in the case in the case where we're looking about code operations, it doesn't matter what server you're on, you will see the same behavior. Database operations to be honest, do, do does it, it does change based on the machine you're doing it on because there's a queue of operations to use the database. Staging happens to be slower, and as a result, I think we're getting a very fair assessment of what's wrong when we see something on staging. So we do see problems on staging, and we're rather quick to fix them. The edge case is itself to be used upon an edge case. It's not used by many, but it shares the same production database, so we're certain that the database operations are true. It's merely looking at some small cases where they don't share, and this would be the code if the code doesn't um, isn't doing the same operations as in production. Okay, well, I'll, I'll leave you to... Uh, it sounds like you're having some work done, so I'll leave you to that. Um, uh, thanks very much, Curtis, for, for joining me, and I uh, hope to have you on the, the podcast another time. Okay. Thank cool. you very much. Thanks for listening to episode 17 of Launchpad, the Launchpad team podcast. There'll be more on the Launchpad blog about Launchpad Performance Week, so go to blog.launchpad.net. But for now, uh, until next time, it's uh, goodbye. Thank mm-hmm. you.